Welcome to the seventh episode of Inksville, a podcast where hosts Abby Rubish and Avani Rai take turns inviting community staff to spill the tea on all things NCHS. According to data most recently released by the Illinois Report Card, to be a person of color in the teaching field is very rare. Reflecting trends nationwide, in Unit 5, despite a 40% POC student population, only 6% of teachers are people of color. And to be male and a person of color in the teaching field is even rarer. The district reports that 80% of teachers are female. I'm Avani Rai, and today I'm here with Mr. Christopher Belt, a 14-year English teacher and former community student himself, to speak on his perspectives as a black male teacher in a school district whose student population is only growing more diverse. How's it going, Mr. Belt? It's going pretty good. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. Now, I'd like to start with your experiences as a student. So what was your experience like as a black student at Normal Community High School, provided that the school wasn't as diverse as we see today? Um, I'll say in general, it wasn't all negative. I think that might be someone's first inclination to think it was all bad. It was, it was mostly positive. Um, however, uh, just the school when I was here was far less diverse. I was always, uh, the only student of color or like no more than three, maybe four in each class. Um, and that just creates a sense of like hyper visibility, um, like the contrast of your appearance to everyone else is always just very stark. Uh, you get, I hate the term microaggressions because I feel like the accumulative effect is more significant than something to too significant to be called micro, um, but more so like inadvertent aggression or like inadvertent hostility might be better, but just weird questions that point to the fact that you don't look like everyone else. So th- it adds to that hyper visibility. Um, and, and there's the, the questioning of like, do I fit in here? Do I belong here? Will I be accepted for just being me or will I be rejected for just being me? So you just always have to play with those questions. And like any person of color in a predominantly white area knows that becomes like mentally taxing. Mm-hmm. And did you ever have any teachers uh, that were people of color? I had two Spanish teachers, Miss Baldwin. I had Miss Baldwin, who's still here. Um, and then I had Miss Chin um, also for Spanish. Uh, but yeah, but both those teachers of color were women. So I never had a male teacher of color in high school. Okay. So then why, why did you want to become a teacher? Um, for me, initially as a kid, um, like I, I grew up in a household where there are books everywhere. Um, both my parents encouraged me to read. Uh, my grandmother uh, was a teacher herself. She wasn't a high school teacher, but she was a kindergarten teacher for years and years and years. Um, she did things like buy me like a blank book for me to write in, like write my own stories in. So as a kid, uh, I wanted to be a high school teacher when I was a sophomore in high school. And I always say it's not cool to be like, hey, and I played basketball too. So I always make the jokes like no one wants to see me burst in the locker room and go, hey guys, I want to be an English teacher when I grow up. Uh, so I kind of, I didn't keep it. I just wasn't out there with it as much, but I've wanted to be a teacher since I was in high school. Um, and initially it was just about, I enjoyed the cleverness of like metaphors and symbolism and like when you piece those things together you can kind of recognize the layers within a text like I always thought that was really fascinating and fun also just the idea of transport the way like you can read a story and you're like transported to someone else's experience in another world or whatever so I I just like I've always been fascinated by that mental process Um, but then I went to college and in college I felt like that was when I learned more about the ills of the world and systems and things like that Um, so my mission shifted from just like 
helping students to apprehend the aesthetic pleasure that comes with reading. Now it was more so of a social justice mission of like these texts can bring our awareness to different issues that we should pay attention to in hopes that if we did pay attention and address them, we could like improve society. Um, th- but then it shifted again <laughs> uh, after the two waves of the Black Lives Matter movement and like this, especially the second one being like the biggest uh, protest movement in American history and it didn't amount to much policy wise. Um, now my mission, I, I do still hope to like improve society, but more so it's like, I hope I can help. I, I honestly, it's back to my original thing. It's like, I hope the study of literature can help someone recognize and understand like the space they take up is worthwhile. Sure, definitely. Um, yes. And moving back a little bit, you mentioned your college experience. So what was that experience like considering that you were a minority um, in two areas, right? You were both male and uh, black, a person of color mm-hmm. in a field that doesn't really look like that. Uh, uh, again, positive mostly, but the same dynamic of being like, oh, I'm like one of the few or the only. So still that hyper visibility, that sense of like everyone sees me and everyone, not everyone notices me. Despite that, I didn't have anyone who is openly hostile towards me. These are all things that are just kind of in the air. Um, but I, I felt like it was a positive experience. Um, I had good professors. Uh, even in college, though, I, I had more male professors, but I don't... I had a few uh, teacher male teachers of color in college. So in college is when I first started encountering that. I was like, okay, this is a, teacher, a male and a person of color. Um, but yeah, in general, it was positive, but always that dynamic is always in the back of your mind. Sure. And how would you say that uh, those attributes, right, uh, being male and also a person of color, how do those unique perspectives impact your teaching? Well, first off, I know right when my students walk in the door, they're thrown off by me. Mm-hmm. Um, not even necessarily in a bad way, but I know they walk in, they go, hmm, this is different. Oh, he's a dude. Oh, he's a black dude. Okay, this, let's see where this goes. So I know right away that they're kind of... Uh, they recognize like this is a unique dynamic. Um, then from there, I just feel like I can, you know, I've, I have different experiences. I can approach things and discuss things, especially in regards to race, especially in regards to the black experience. I know I can speak about them and speak to them in a way other teachers can't. Um, you know, I can say things or, or point to subtle things that just, if you're outside of the culture, you might not experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just having the authority to speak about these issues without worrying, like, am I doing it right? Am I representing the group properly? Because um, I know that's a lot of the other white teachers' concerns is, like, I, I'm hesitant to go into too much depth because it's not my experience. And I don't want to, like, disrespect anyone by, um, you know, mischaracterizing a particular thing about the black experience. Experience. Um, but it's like for me, it's like I, I live it, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, but then, even when speaking about things that deal with white culture, one of the dynamics of being in a minority culture is in order to thrive, you have to pretty much become an expert on that dominant culture. Um, so I don't feel the same type of hesitance to talk about um, a book that doesn't deal with black people just because it's like I've, I've had to learn the dominant culture in and out just to get to where I am. So. Um, not that I know exactly what it's like, but I don't know. I've just spent, I guess, more time, it, just because of the way things are, I spent more time reflecting on what that world is like, how to maneuver in it, um, more so than the reverse, because when you're in the dominant culture, does you don't need to know how minority cultures move to get what you want, so why would you? 
for sure. And how would you say that impacts your relationship with students? I almost think it creates a level of informality. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm super informal myself anyway. Um, but, I mean, to be totally honest, as being a black male, um, you just get the cool pass right away. You just, here's the cool card. Even, even as hard as I try to not be, it doesn't matter. It's like you're a black male. You're just cool because of that, um, which I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but I just feel like that just puts students in a position where they're more open to perhaps some of the things that I have to say or some of the things I want want to or want them to comment on um so i just think it creates more i feel like that informality creates a sense of openness to where there's not because a lot of times in classrooms even though teachers try not to there's like the oppositional dynamic of like teacher versus student so i feel like that's broken down more and it's it's I feel I can get to quicker because every teacher has a struggle. It's like, I'm not against you. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to facilitate your growth. I feel like those walls, I don't have to go through that process. It's hard to convince them. I'm here to facilitate their growth. I'm not trying to trick them or it's not teacher versus student. It's teacher with student. So I feel like that process is faster. Okay. And what about the role you play with students, particularly those um, students of color? It's just modeling a different way, something other than that list of stereotypes, um, just because there aren't a lot of teachers. So, I, like, I know, like, even the, a lot of students of color that I see, uh, again, especially the black students that I don't have in class, I see, like, the wonder in their eyes when they see me. They're, they're like, what? There's one that looks like me? Um, and, like I said, uh, at Open House even had us uh, black parents sit in for my Open House session. Their kid's not even in my class. They were just like, oh, there's a black teacher here? I want to see what this is about. So, after I was done they're like oh my, my kid's not even in your class we just wanted to see what's going on so there is definitely like this sense of um, one that I am a unicorn <laughs> and there is a sense of responsibility to just model moving moving positively through the world um, and just that like you can be a teacher you know just you can be a teacher you can be something other than the limited list of stereotypes applied to the group yeah definitely and I think something that is worth noting is that this isn't a trend that's just limited to Unit 5 or Illinois, because data released, I think 2020 to 2021, um, found that, oh right, from the National Teacher and Principal Survey in the United States that year, black male teachers make up 1.3% oh of gosh. all teachers, K through 12. Woo, wow. Okay. I didn't even, I did not know all that. 1.3%? Right. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I think it just speaks to, I think a lot of minorities have negative experiences at school, so they don't identify with the place. So, um, or the, or even, so as they grow up, they're like, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go back to that. Um, or they just get a sense that it's a, a hostile environment. So it's not like, it's not for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's hard to, I feel like overcoming, um, the way you self-identify is really difficult. Like, even if it's illogical, even if it's bad, if that's how you identify, it takes a lot to get out of that mindset. Because I hate microaggressions. That I hate that term. Um, but I think that's what they experience. They experience a lot of microaggressions, and they're like, I don't want to go back there because that was unpleasant. So. And in that context, why do you think your representation matters? Uh, I think it's I think it's just about dispelling dominant narratives. Like I said, like that that stereotype for black people, uh, that stigma follows you. Um, and I think the way to dispel that stigma is representation. So then because the stigma is limiting, 
Um, and stereotypes are just limiting. It's not that no one behaves in that way. It's just if you walk around with the assumption that everyone you encounter is that way, you're going to run into lots of like misperceptions. I think like the human mind wants to just for the sake of survival, wants to make things as simplistic as possible. And it's easy to just put people in boxes. And that's what without reflection that your mind just automatically categorizes things. Um, but you have to try to uh, engage your high order thinking so you can break out of that simplicity um, like you kind of need that simplicity just to have something to stand on but then you have to like know that base is to complicate things so you don't stereotype human beings like you can do that with like dogs or something you know what I mean like because um, your brain's categorizing things but then when your brain goes black people bad every time um, that, that's problematic uh, so yeah it's all about the, and I think representation helps to dispel like those kind of negative dominant narratives that are in everyone's minds uh, ideally representation would get to the point where a black male teacher wouldn't seem like such a unicorn it wouldn't seem like such a rarity it wouldn't seem so weird yeah and uh you mentioned earlier that one of the barriers you think preventing or maybe restricting uh, people of color to even try or attempt to go into the teaching field is that they might not have the best experience in schools. Mm -hmm. And I think that the trends with the diversity in the teaching field are interesting because if you look at, despite how much more diverse our student population has gotten. If you look back at data released from 2015, right? Mm -hmm. These splits, male, female, um, people of color, um, and those who are not, they remain largely consistent throughout those past years, and that's almost a 10-year gap, and that's, that's as far as the data goes that I could find. Yeah. And so, within Unit 5, how should initiatives to improve equity and inclusion best be approached, do you think, to make that student experience better for those um, people of color? Yeah, I, I do think it does need to be addressed and does need to be talked about. And we've started that process and that working at five here. Um, I'm just a big advocate for that diversity and equity and inclusion conversation can't just be a lecture at white people about how they're bad. Um, just because that just puts, makes people defensive. And it is the correct thing to do to point out what bias is and try to combat it. But I just feel like it can be done without putting people on the defensive. Just because any any group, not even just white people, any group, if you come at them and explain to them why they're bad, you're going to get pushback against it. So I don't think we've had a ton of pushback in our district, but there's been some. There has been some. Um, I did one of the trainings last year, and when we did our debriefing for the district, uh, several of the instructors said they didn't get positive responses um, and for me it just made me wonder how are we how are we doing this is it because uh, they got defensive because they felt like it was a gotcha or it felt like it was a lecture about how they're just bad and how they're just making minority students feel bad and if you want to have that conversation um, it's just got to be done in a certain way if you want someone to be receptive to it like and, and that doesn't mean watering the message down or trying to sugarcoat it um, it just means delivering in a way where it's it's constructive, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. All right. Well, our final question that we ask all of our uh, podcast invitees, I guess, um, <laughs> is what do you think it means to be an Ironman? 
I want to say it's, I would, you know, it goes with the name. I would say it's resilience. I would say it's, uh, you know, moving through the world with the understanding that things aren't going to be easy. Um, but there are things you can do to like fortify yourself to withstand that. So everyone's going to put on their suit of armor kind of deal. Um, but I, I do think that's what it means. I, th- I think that's what you need to be successful is like, understand things aren't going to be perfect. There's going to be rough patches. You just got to stay the course and get to the other side. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Mr. Velt. We so, so, so much appreciated you joining us here today. And thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time out of your day to listen to Inkspill. We'll see you once more before the end of the school year.